0: everyone i hope you're well and ready to explore another fascinating language family as you can see today we're going to have a look at languages in asia so we're moving a little further out from the region that we've looked at so far And specifically, this is the Turkic language family. They are not Indo-European. So up until now, we've looked at the Celtic languages, we've looked at Slavic languages, German, French, English. These are all related through a distant common language. The Turkic ones have developed in a very different region and show very different features which I think make them really fascinating to look at if your native language is an Indo-European one There are about 200 million speakers across these different languages here and I just quickly like to go through the biggest ones As a little note up front Some of the numbers I found differ So the German Wikipedia site will tell me something different compared to the English one Sometimes this has to do with what kind of speakers it counts So is it just native speakers Or is it also speakers who know the language as a foreign language? But I'm not always completely sure about that so just as a little note up front, um, these are rough estimates Alright, so like I said we have about 200 million Turkic speakers and the largest group can be found over here specifically with Turkish which has between 70 and 80 million speakers Here we have Azerbaijani, also called Aseri, with 30 million and Uzbek, right here with 44 million if you count native and foreign language speakers only native speakers is about 24 million This large area here is Kazakh the counts to about 18 million. In China we have Uyghur. Here the German Wikipedia told me it's 10 million speakers, the English ones at 25 million. So quite a large discrepancy that unfortunately haven't found an explanation for. But we'll just take it as a large number of speakers. Over here we have Turkmen, roughly 10 million, Tatar with 5 to 7 million, and Kyrgyz here in the center with 4.5 million. These are the largest languages. And then you have a couple more with sometimes about a million speakers um, just under a million but out of these about 40 languages there also are a couple that really only have a handful of speakers left and we have to hope that they will be revived but some are definitely quite endangered in terms of the larger languages though we know that the number of speakers is actually growing so they are stable, at least, if not prospering It's a very different situation on each end of the spectrum The larger languages also have official status Specifically that is Turkish and Turkey, where it is the national language Same goes for Azerbaijan and Turkmen Kazakh, Kyrgyz and Uzbek. So, sort of these Central Asian states here. Um, there's also Tajikistan in here, but Tajik is a Persian language, so not related to the other ones. While not a national language, some of these still have official status in their respective uh, countries and their respective regions. That goes for Uyghur in China for nine different languages across Russia and for this little language here in Uzbekistan which is Karakalpak. there we go, we have a little corner here next to Tajikistan Turkmenistan and Kazakhstan Alright, so that's a little overview on the languages Before we go a little more in depth of how you can differentiate between them I want to quickly give you uh, an idea of what makes them so special I'm gonna swap books and have a look at my old Turkish uh, lecture book so here we are Kula küle, well, from many years ago And we're gonna have a look Here are some grammar explanations There are two distinct characteristics that I want to show you that are typical for pretty much all Turkic languages The first aspect is that they are agglutinative That means that you tuck these endings onto the word. So these are morphemes or with a specific meaning. And instead of, like, say, in German or English, putting them as prepositions in front of a word, you tuck them onto the end, you glue them on, hence, agglutinative. This here, for example, means I am Czech, so from the Czech Republic. You can say Ben, which means I But you can also leave that out Because it's added to the end of the word anyway Jae If you say I'm a professor professorum It's just here, tucked on to the end And that way you can Basically create an entire sentence A short one it is That just seems to consist of one single word For example if in English, I want to say, "I am at home." I start with the subject of the word, which is "I." Then I add the word "I am," the preposition "at," and then the object "home." In Turkish, I can start with "I ben," but then I add the object, which would be "ev," such as after that "ben ev." then I add what would be a preposition at the end, ben evde and then I add this little bit here, ben evdeim. or oh, I just say evdeim instead of ben evdeim. so it's one single word all neatly tucked together and that's the Glutenative if we look at these suffixes we can see that, even though they all mean the same thing they do take on different forms and that is the second fascinating aspect that is the vowel harmony and that's also typical for all Turkic languages though in some, it is not quite as present anymore what does that mean? basically, we just look at the last vowel of the root of the phrase, so here, check, there would be an e, and then depending on that vowel, we decide which vowel comes into the suffix so here we have e or e, and they take an e, checkim or i switch religion. I'm swiss if it's ö or ü we add an Ü Professorüm or Türküm so I'm professor or I'm Turkish after A or Ü it's this Ü so that's similar to the sound that you have in the Slavic languages Almanum or Fransızl I'm German or French and the last two vowels are u and u and they take a u espanolum and Luxembourgish. so i'm spanish or from luxembourg this is the complex vowel harmony and it differentiates between front vowels e, e, Ö, Ü, and back vowels are Additionally, you differentiate between unrounded and rounded vowels I don't know, that seems kind of complicated but it's really regular and once you get into it, it becomes quite clear and quite harmonious after all Additionally to the complex um, vowel harmony, you also have a simple one which you can see here in the form of they. so third person plural the plural form is ler or la. it only takes two different forms with an e or with an a and you can also say it's in brackets because Turkish is pretty efficient when it comes to that if it's clear that it's a plural form just leave it out, you don't need to add extra suffixes if they are unnecessary. So, that's the example for Turkish, but that's something you will find in pretty much all Turkic languages. Additionally, you also don't have a grammatical gender, so it's not like in German where you have to learn der, die, das, or you don't even have to learn er, sie, es it's just all so no he, she, and just one gender that's all you also don't have an article and the word order is subject, object, verb so verb goes at the end okay, but I think that's enough grammar so, good luck look this book? and let's get back to our map Alright, so there are a couple of interesting points when it comes to this language family that I would like to tell you about. For one, there are two distinct branches. The first branch is called Ugurik. And there's only one single language left in this branch. And that's right up here. In Russia, Longi Volga. This is Chuvash. You can see it's one of the smaller languages, both in terms of territory and also a number of speakers. But it has an interesting history. It was probably the first language that um, moved away from Proto Turkic, which probably comes from somewhere in this region so uh, Kazakhstan, Mongolia, northern China and the people that settled here might have been the Bulgars so we talked last time about the Bulgarians down here along the Danube historically in the early middle ages you had Bulgars here along the Danube and also along the Volga and there is a theory that this old Bulgar language, which was Turkic today Bulgarian's speak a Slavic language but that this old Bulgar language developed into Chuvash There might also be a relation to um, an old Hungarian version It is assumed that the name Hungary or Hungarians actually was coined by speakers of this language it probably means something like Ten Arrows or Ten Tribes Onogur it's an exonym for Hungary the native uh, description or the native name for Hungarians after all is Magyar so you can tell these are two very different words right, so that's the Oguric branch of the family All other languages together form a branch called Common Turkic And they are also quite closely related all in all Speakers from one branch will usually be able to understand one another With some, you know, with some goodwill and some some effort There's no hard lines between the different uh, subgroups Some, however, have developed in a bit of a different direction One of them, for example, again, one of the smaller languages is Kalach Which is here in Iran This is also one of the subforms that branched off quite early There are, again, maybe 20,000, maybe 40,000 speakers very different information, but it's one of the smaller languages, we can say that for sure and this has, on the one hand, been very strongly influenced by Persian there's some Persian influence on most of these languages, but it's particularly pronounced with Khalaj but at the same time since it isolated from the other languages quite early on it also managed to keep some more archaic forms that the other languages have lost for example in terms of vowel qualities so it's quite a unique uh, variant within the Turkic languages and another one that due to its isolated position has evolved a bit differently is up here in northern Siberia this is Yakut with a number of speakers of about 400,000 but more, but less, depending on where you look and the related dolgan I just said that most of these languages have been influenced by Persian this is not true for Yakut as it is quite far removed, as you can see and the number of speakers for Yakut means that it is still an active language whereas for dolgan, the number is quite small and in a lot of households it's being replaced by other languages for example Russian as it's easier to communicate across different families this group here is also a Siberian group the largest one being Tuvan with about 200,000 speakers and uh, Maybe you're familiar with Tuva, there's a couple of very cool throat uh, singing bands that come from there. I might link them in the comment section because I quite like them. But that's an aside. If you want to listen to some Tuvan language singing flow, there could be a cool way. Right, and then we have three groups left. There is the Kipchak languages with Kazakh, Kyrgyz, and Tatar, here in Russia We have the Kahluk family with Uyghur and Uzbek so these two are also related quite closely and Uzbek is one of the exceptions where the vowel harmony is not as pronounced anymore it is still used in spoken dialects but in the written form it's lost the vowel harmony so that is a bit of an exception right, and finally the largest group would be the August group the one we just looked at with Turkish it also includes Azerbaijani and Turkmen and particularly here from Turkey to Azerbaijan, also northern Iran, you really have a dialect continuum where the language just sort of slowly changes until you end up with a different variety or a different language. Now, if you read anything about the Turkic language family, You will quickly notice that it's often listed as part of the Altaic language family. There's a bit of an oddity. I'll show you. We turn the page. So here we've shifted a little further east, and we're looking at Russia, Mongolia, northern China This would be Kamchatka, if we continue here across the water we will get to Alaska So we're really right out on the corner Now, the interesting thing is that, especially with the Mongolian languages and the Tungusic languages which are Uh, marked in green we do have certain similarities with the Turkic languages for one, there's a vowel harmony uh, there was a so in terms of structure they show a lot of similarities it's not just in vocabulary but it goes a bit deeper than that and of course if you see the similarities it's kind of obvious that you would assume that there is a connection there but the problem is you cannot assume that it is a genetic connection meaning it is not a given that because certain languages look the same that they also come from the same ancestor and with these Altai families so Tungusic, Turkic, Mongolic they are proto-versions, so the earlier versions that they were developed from actually seem to be further apart from one another so they moved closer together over time rather than moving apart, as most languages do One explanation for that could be that it's a so-called Sprachbund so a linguistic area All three language families probably come from somewhere in this area here So maybe the corner between Kazakhstan and Mongolia This is where the Altai Mountains are Hence the name, Altai Languages Um, It's also been proposed that maybe it's here in Northern China Somewhere in this area either way And if these people speaking these three distinct languages Stayed there for a long time maybe there were also a lot of bilingual speakers it is well possible that they didn't just borrow vocabulary from one another but they copied pronunciation, they copied grammatical rules the languages just started to sound more like one another and that gives the impression that they are related but it's just intense borrowing My impression is that that is the um, theory that most scientists hold There is, however, also a group that is convinced that there is an Altaic language family So you really have both theories and there's no definite answer for that If it's true that there was a proto-Altaic language then that would have been spoken something like 7000 years ago so it would make the family extremely old and much older than, for example, uh, the Indo-European languages there's also a macro Altaic theory which would put Japanese and Korean into the Altaic languages as well this is not widely accepted but there might actually be a uh, connection between the Turkic languages and Korean depending on which studies you read for the micro Altaic version, so Tungusic, Turkic, Mongolian there would be 66 living languages for macro Altaic, including Japanese and Korean there would be about 74 living languages but again it's a bit of a mystery, and we'll just have to live with some uncertainty in that regard. Either way, if you are interested in learning a language that feels completely different, and that challenges you, and shows you really new and exciting things that you can do with grammar, and how a language can function, I would very much recommend trying out a Turkic language quite beautiful and elegant and absolutely fascinating right so thank you for watching I hope you found this interesting and i'll see you again next week